Chapter Twenty Two of Meg and Margaret: A Story for Girls by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. That little Meg Jessup. It was one morning in May that Meg, arriving early, found the schoolroom in a hum of excitement. Very splendid times were in store for some of them, and they were making the hearts of others throb with envy while they told. Meg, lingering on the outskirts, as she was inclined to do unless distinctly invited into the circle, heard scraps of news. It all had to do with one whom she remembered every day in her prayers with a gratitude that many of the talkers would not have understood. Before Miss Ordway was married, Mr. Frederick, as Meg continued to call him in her thoughts, had been suddenly summoned to join his father and mother abroad. His friends bade him good-bye with faces almost as sad as his own, for he was going upon a sad errand. His mother was worse, and the gravest fears were felt lest he should not return in time to say good-bye. Meg had heard of him several times since then, first that his mother was still living when he reached Italy, then that she really seemed to be gaining a very little, then that there had been a decided change for the better, finally that there actually seemed to be hope of her entire recovery, but that she could by no means return home as yet. Therefore Mr. Ainsworth was to come to look after his long-deserted business, and Mr. Frederick was to stay abroad with his mother. After that, by degrees, he dropped out of Mag's world. Mrs. Duane occasionally heard of him through his relatives, but never thought to mention the news to Mag. Still, as has been said, she had never forgotten him, and she could not help the sparkle in her eyes over the news she heard that May morning. Mr. Frederick had come home, was actually at that moment in the same city with herself. The possibility was now always before her of meeting him somewhere, and being able to tell him that she was working hard for that education which he had put it in her heart to get. "'Of course I've seen him,' Carrie Jones was saying. Don't I tell you I was chatting with Margaret Lancaster when he came over to see her? He is Margaret's cousin, you know. Oh, but that girl is as proud of him as a peacock. It is too funny to see the airs she puts on. He used to be a real handsome boy, volunteered Alice Porter. He is yet, only I don't think you would call him a boy. He always had a way of looking older than he was, just as Margie Lancaster has, and he does now. He is, let me think, why, he must be about nineteen, and I should take him for twenty-three or four. Oh, very handsome and so stylish, my! There isn't a college boy in this city who can compare with him. Yes, indeed, they have come home to stay. They have gone right to their house on Laurel Avenue. It has been refurnished, they say, and everything about it is elegant. That is, Margie Lancaster says so, but then everything is always elegant that belongs to her relatives, you know. Then there was a general laugh at the absent one's expense, followed by Carrie Jones again. Well, of course it is elegant. Mrs. Ainsworth always had exquisite taste. It is nice for Margie Lancaster, isn't it, to have a handsome grown-up cousin always at hand to go with her to places? I am afraid this world will not contain her very long. She will be so fearfully set up. Do the Lancasters live here, or are they only staying? This question from a comparatively new girl. Well, I think they may be said to be living here now. They have spent two winters here, and that is longer than they stay anywhere. 
Margie's father is Admiral Lancaster of the United States Navy, as you must have heard if you have talked with Margie for five minutes. That is one of the things of which she is proud. Mrs. Lancaster was abroad for more than a year to be near her husband, and Margie stayed with her Aunt Helen. She was in the country with her that time when she was hurt, you remember, girls. Then they came on here, and Margie entered this school, and wants to stay here. Therefore they will be likely to do so. She rules her mother and her father too, I guess. I know her better than most of the girls do, for we used to live in Chicago, where they spent a good deal of their time. They boarded right next door to our house. I knew Fred Ainsworth when he was a little bit of a fellow, for he was on there one winter with his mother, and we quarreled like cats, I remember, over a balloon that we both claimed. But he has forgotten all about me, didn't succeed in remembering me very well, even after I had referred to old times and the balloon, although he pretended to for the sake of politeness. He is awfully polite." Nobody invited Meg into the circle, nobody had an idea that she knew even Mr. Frederick Ainsworth's name, and she was obliged at last to move away, still hungry for news of him. She had so much, so very much for which to thank him. Could she hope for a chance, some time, to do it? Of course he would not remember her. He had not remembered even Carrie Jones, a beautiful young lady, with whom he played when a child but that need make no difference, she could thank him all the same. He might come some time to see Mrs. Duane, and she might possibly be at home, and if Mrs. Duane knew that she wanted to thank him, she would be sure to give her a chance. The chance came much earlier than she expected. That afternoon, as she stepped into the front hall on her return from school, she heard a voice that she felt sure she would have known anywhere. Mr. Frederick himself, looking so grown up and dignified, as she peeped at him through the half-open door, that she almost decided she should be afraid ever to speak to him. Yet he was chatting eagerly with Mrs. Duane, asking questions with a rapidity that showed him in haste to learn all about his old friends. Meg stood in the hall, hesitating. She had a message of importance for Mrs. Duane, but she dreaded to deliver it. Perhaps Mrs. Duane would remember that she used to know Mr. Ainsworth, and would try to recall her to his memory, and her heart was so full just then of all his kindness to her when she was a lonely little girl, that she was almost afraid the tears would come if Mr. Frederick should treat her as Margaret Lancaster did, for instance. That would be even worse than entire forgetfulness. She would like to wait and get used to the thought of his being at home, and train herself to remembering that, of course, he would have nothing to say to her. Duty triumphed. Mrs. Duane ought to have the word that her husband had sent, and have it immediately, therefore Meg pushed the door wider open and entered. "'I beg your pardon, Mrs. Duane, but may I speak to you a moment?' These words were on her lips when she heard Mr. Ainsworth's voice. "'Why, can it be possible that this is—it certainly is—' our little Meg. The eyes are the same, but for the rest. Are you sure that you are little Meg Jessup, the child of one book? No, two. Bless me, I believe there were three. The same genial voice, and he was actually holding out his hand, both hands, for her greeting. 
Meg, blushing and astonished, and wondering between times if he knew that his cousin, Margaret Lancaster, did not approve of her being treated as an equal, and very glad, gave him her hand, and assured him, with a laugh full of childish gleefulness, that she was the same little Mag. "'Not a bit of it,' he said. "'You are wonderfully changed. You remember, Mrs. Duane, that I told you there were possibilities?' have a seat and tell me all about it, school life and home life and the history of England and all the rest. How kind he was, and how wise and how patient with her ignorance, and how interested in everything that had to do with her studies. Mrs. Duane, having received her husband's message, and finding herself obliged to go out at once to carry out his directions, invited Mr. Ainsworth to stay to dinner, and directed Meg to entertain him until her return. The hour that followed was one that Meg will always remember. It set her right about several matters concerning which she had been in danger of drawing wrong conclusions. Mr. Frederick Ainsworth's estimate of worth was evidently not like his cousin's. And he was young and rich, and had seen more of the world than had Margaret Lancaster. Mr. and Mrs. Duane and their relatives were not then different from all the rest of the world, as she was beginning to think. Here was another, from entirely another family, who was different also. Perhaps there were more. She would think better of the world than she had been doing. It was evidently larger than she had supposed. Mr. Frederick, meantime, who meant to be a lawyer, and who studied human nature wherever he had a chance, questioned and cross-questioned, and learned more about Meg's school life than she had any idea she was telling, knew more about it in an hour's time than the Duanes imagined, and made his plans accordingly. "'You don't know my mother, do you?' this remark he made to Meg just as they were leaving the dining-room. Meg had served him carefully at the table, like the deft-handed little table-waiter that she had become, and had been entirely silent, of course, save when spoken to. Mr. Frederick had respected the proprieties of the table, and said not a word to her until dinner was over. "'She is acquainted with you,' he continued. "'At least she has heard about the history of England and the little pillows, and wants to make the acquaintance of their owner. I promised to bring you to see her as soon as possible. Could you go to-morrow afternoon, do you think? I might call at the school for you if you could.' "'Oh, no, thank you,' said Meg quickly. I should not have time to-morrow. Friday is a very busy day. But Mrs. Duane interposed, smiling. You mean your home duties, Meg? Then I think we can arrange it. In fact, I have already promised Mr. Ainsworth to do so. So Meg, in great wonderment and certainly no small delight over this unexpected glimpse of the beautiful world, went away with a look in her eyes that paid Mrs. Duane for whatever sacrifice she had made. In the parlor they talked about her a little. "'Her eyes are as expressive as ever,' said Mr. Frederick. "'Do you know, Mrs. Duane, that you have a remarkable little table waitress? I have been examining her in English history, and I assure you her knowledge of it would put some of our college men quite to the blush.' "'She is an apt pupil,' said Mr. Duane. "'I have been astonished to see how wonderfully well she grasps historic situations.' makes a sort of picture of them in her mind, and studies it until it becomes hers. "'She acts it all out,' said Mrs. Duane. "'Don't you remember, Frederick, how she used to entertain herself up in that dreary attic room at Mrs. Perkins's? 
I think she continues much the same habit, and it accounts for the extreme clearness of her knowledge. Oh, we consider her a remarkable girl, and we are doing our best not to spoil her. See that you are as prudent. I don't intend to spoil her, laughed Mr. Frederick, but I know two or three of her schoolmates who need to be taught a certain lesson, and I am going to take that part of their education in mind. That is why I want to meet little Meg at the school, instead of calling here for her. Mrs. Duane interested herself in Meg's next day's toilet, with the result that she appeared in school with what she was in the habit of calling her Sunday dress. "'How fine we are!' murmured Margaret Lancaster, with a toss of her head toward Meg. "'I wonder what is going to happen to us to-day!' As a matter of fact, Meg was not at all fine in the sense that Margaret Lancaster meant. Mrs. Duane's taste was good, and she could be trusted not to overdress a young girl for any occasion. It was the hour for history that Mr. Frederick chose for his call. "'Miss Lancaster,' the teacher had just said, when a side-door opened and Mrs. Garland entered with her guest. Margaret, surprised and a bit flustered by the unexpected appearance of her cousin, was at a disadvantage, and did not recite nearly so well as usual. Meg gave her a surprised and pitiful glance as she made a serious mistake in names and dates, and the next moment heard her own name called. The lesson was one that had interested her even more than usual, and that morning, in reply to a question of hers, Mr. Duane had given her such a description of the situation that she had told him gleefully it was almost like being there, so she was not only ready, but glad to recite. "'She is an unusual girl in many respects,' Mrs. Garland said to her guest, as he commented on the recitation. "'I do not know when I have had a pupil who has interested me so deeply. Perhaps I notice her more because she is an orphan and quite alone in the world. But she has fallen among rare people. Do you know the Duanes, Mr. Ainsworth?' They gathered about him for the five minutes' recess that followed the history hour, those favoured ones who could claim intimacy with Margaret Lancaster, and she was gracious and introduced her handsome cousin, explaining to him between times the mischief he had wrought. "'You were horrid not to tell me you were coming. It was all your fault that I made such dreadful blunders in class. I never recite in that fashion, do I, girls?' but I was so astonished at seeing you walk in that I couldn't gather my wits. Are you going to stay for our Shakespeare class? Oh, do, we have great fun then. Not today, said Mr. Frederick. I came by appointment. I have a young lady friend here who is engaged to dine with my mother this evening, and she was to be ready for me after history. What has become of her, I wonder? I saw and heard her in the class. Who on earth could it be? This question was in the eyes of every astonished girl of the group. In their opinion, every girl in that school who could have the slightest hope of dining with Mrs. Ainsworth was already one of the group about him. His cousin Margaret was as astonished as the rest, and opened her mouth to question, when the young man stopped it by saying, "'Oh, here she is. Are you ready, Mag? If we make haste we shall be in time for a fair view of that picture I tried to describe to you.' and those girls stood in dumb amazement, and watched the elegant Mr. Ainsworth walk away with that little Mag Jessup, she laughing as gleefully in response to something he said, as though he were a schoolmate of hers. "'Well!' 
What do you make of that? I never heard of such a thing in my life. These were some of the ejaculations that could have been heard as soon as the dumbness gave place to speech. End of chapter 22